pray together ask the Lord to bless his word to us Lord we come to you as very needy people today and we thank you that uh, before we call on you you know all the needs that are in our lives and have promised to show yourself strong on our behalf so we pray now that you would uh, help us to better understand your word we pray that you would work in our hearts so that we are eager to hear what you have to say and then give us grace to be more like Jesus, we pray. And we ask these mercies with thanksgiving. In his name, amen. Mike had become totally fluent in Spanish. And because he cared about the inner city, he worked an, arra uh, an arrangement with the Dallas City Police so that he could travel in police cars to the inner city. One night, the officers encountered a 14-year-old boy lying wounded. Uh, relatives and neighbors were shouting and crying and waving their arms, and no one in that community spoke English, and the police officers didn't speak Spanish. And so Mike became the interpreter. After calming the group and getting the basic information, the, author, the officers took the boy off to the hospital, and as the crowd began to disperse, one elderly man came up and said to Mike, thank you for talking to us like this. Nobody ever talks to us this way. Well, he was grateful, first of all, for Mike's fluency and also for helping with his grandson, but he was most appreciative for the kind and gentle way in which he had interacted with the distressed family members. In the inner city, they were used to getting orders and raised voices and hostile tones. But all of a sudden, there stood in front of them a man who spoke as a friend and who offered help in their time of need. Isn't that the kind of care that all of us want? Well, that's what we find in the next section of Acts. The Lord speaks to us and offers help to anybody who needs hope. And um, these words come to us with this reminder, only the gospel can save you. And when the gospel saves you, you get a full-service kind of salvation. It's designed to meet all of your needs, help you become all that the Lord intends you to be. So we're looking at the passage we just heard, Acts chapter 14. If you can turn to it in your Bible, uh, chapter 14, we're going to look at the whole section, verses 1 to 28. Now, Luke has a clear center point in this chapter. And as we work through it, you may have this vague sense, hmm, haven't I heard this sort of thing before earlier in the chapter? And you would be right about that. He does repeat themes. Uh, and because we're more used to a linear outline, what I'm going to try to do is combine common themes and then consider them together. Only the gospel can save you, and so Luke develops these ideas. First of all, 
take hope. The gospel is moving. It's spreading. And next, take hope. The gospel gives you power to bless people that are in need. And then the third thing that he says is, take hope. The gospel points us to one living and true God who is very, very good. In this chapter we just read, we're coming to the close of the first missionary journey. And it's been a foray to take the gospel to different places. But in this chapter, the focus is on getting the gospel to those that are raw pagans. Let me describe them like that. And Luke is answering the question here, can the word of Christ do anything to people who have a totally non-Christian worldview? People that are in rebellion against God, they have legends and superstitions that are completely contrary to what God has revealed in his word. Is there any hope for people like that? Now, these towns that we're going to visit are on what we might call the edge of civilization. That is, um, they're out there kind of in the boonies. And uh, people from more urbanized areas, they don't have much interest in these people, except Christian missionaries who are called to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. They have an interest in them. So take hope, the gospel is spreading. It's on the move, and as we experience it, it is a thrilling, thrilling thing. Have you ever been around someone where they just begin to get the gospel, and then all of a sudden the Lord changes them? Well, look at those opening verses. The missionaries go into the synagogue and they preach the gospel and we read a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? And now look at verse 3. They remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now remember what Luke is doing. He's developing for us his overarching outline, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the very ends of the earth. And the same Spirit that is now leading you was leading Paul and Barnabas as they ministered many years ago. Well, the point is, seeing the Lord save people is thrilling. But there's another way in which Luke gets at this idea, and that is the gospel movement is amazing and mind-blowing just when we hear progress reports about it, not even when we're there to see it happen firsthand. So now skip down to the parallel part in this chapter, verse 27. Look what Luke has to say there. 
when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Recently, uh, Debbie and I were talking with Sherry about how the Lord served, uh, saved her, and she has given me permission to tell you part of her story. I hope I'll get it right, Sherry. A number of years ago, she needed physical therapy. So she went to the doctor, and seemingly by chance, he assigned her to a physical therapy facility, and when she got there, uh, the people uh, assigned her to a particular physical therapist. Now, at the time, if you had asked her, Sherry would have said that she was a follower of Jesus, but, in fact, she had not yet been saved. Neither had she met Patty, her therapist, beforehand. But Patty was a believer, and Patty was interested in working on her body and also introducing her to the gospel. Sherry reported, she seemed to genuinely care and take an interest in me in ways other health care workers did not. She wasn't just going through the motions uh, doing her job, and the more I was around her, the more I wanted to be around her. I wanted to know what made her care so much. And as the Lord had guided the need for physical therapy to a facility and then to a physical therapist, the Lord used all of that to save Sherry. What an amazing story. Uh, someone has said, good news is for sharing. Uh, I'm really glad for this. I only wish that I had been there when Patty first started talking to her. I would love to have been a fly on the ceiling to watch this. It's just amazing to hear Sherry report it now after the fact. And that's all by way of saying that being around somebody when they come to faith and hearing about it after it happens... Um, that's great encouragement and so you take hope the gospel is spreading it's on the move now there's another reason to be hopeful here the gospel gives you power to bless those that are in need uh, things are tough everywhere Paul and Barnabas have been mistreated and they have to flee but it's all part of God's plan, and he is moving them now to pagans, which we find in Lystra. So look at verses 8 and following, please. Now in Lystra there was a man who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking and Paul, looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice. We'll stop right there. Paul and Barnabas now are in small towns. And uh, they're populated, as best we can tell, by primarily uneducated people. Um, and we might say that uh, they're way out there, but in God's providence, 
they encounter this man. So how might we describe him? Well, he's weak, he's vulnerable, he's needy, and it would appear as if he's without much of a future, wouldn't you say? And there he is in front of Paul and Barnabas listening intently. Now let's remember, the Holy Spirit had sent them, and so the question that's before us right now is, how do Christian leaders relate to those they perceive to be needy? Well, they relate like Christ, right? Um, he left heaven and came to earth not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Paul and Barnabas have experienced the grace of Christ. He has saved them, and they also have the Holy Spirit working in them and their task to take of the riches that Christ has showered on them and pass them on. We might say of Paul and Barnabas, they had been blessed to be a blessing. And so now look at the end of verse 9 and verse 10. Paul says in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. At first glance, this man doesn't seem to have much of a future. But as they reach out to him, the power of the gospel comes into his life and he is dramatically changed. Now let's just pause here and ask ourselves a couple questions. To what extent do you intentionally move toward those that you consider to be weak? Uh, toward outsiders? Jesus did that for you when you were lost and without any hope, right? And so next, consider what we see before us here as a pointer. If you find yourself avoiding people, I don't want to get too close to somebody like that. He might make me feel uncomfortable. Might this be an opportunity for the Lord to call you to repentance? Now, verses 8 through 10 are half of a pair in this chapter. The other half is down in verses 21 to 23. And so skipping ahead now, Paul and Barnabas have just about completed their work and they're getting ready to go home. So what do they do? Well, they return to all the towns where they have been spreading the gospel, and then what? Well, look at verse 21. When they had preached the gospel in that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith. Paul and Barnabas give themselves not only to serve one needy man, they also give themselves to serve individual churches and a whole group of churches here, newly formed congregations. Now certainly, the Lord wants you to be connected to a local church somewhere. And he wants you to be engaged so that you can be a blessing to the people with whom you worship and serve. 
But you say, how? How can I get connected? Well, the Lord hasn't left you alone. He provides leaders who equip followers to do the work of the ministry. Check out Ephesians chapter 4. We have nine elders here at Covenant Church. If you're having a problem getting plugged in to serve, ask one of them to take you under his wing. So Luke is pressing the point that only the gospel can save you. And so far we've seen this. Take hope because the gospel is on the move. It is spreading. Next we find take hope because the gospel gives you power to bless those that are in need. Now, there's one more reason to be hopeful, and that is the gospel points us to one true and living God who is very, very good. The missionaries are in Iconium first, and they have to flee because their heat is turned up. Now they're in Lystra. They heal a lame man, and people are paying attention only in a way they have never imagined. Please look at verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, the language of the town or the area, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. What is this? All right, a little background. Paul and Barnabas apparently are in a town where they don't know the language, pagan territory. People are polytheists. That is, they believe in many gods. The healing of the lame man makes them think that Paul and Barnabas with such great power must be gods themselves. And so we're told that they call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because of one of their legends. What was the legend? Do you know? It's interesting. Zeus and Hermes, these gods that they worshipped, had one time appeared in Lystra in the form of mere mortals. And they came asking if somebody would take them in for the night. And they went around, the legend goes, to a thousand homes. Nobody wanted them. And then finally they came to a very humble cottage uh, made of straw and reeds, and an elderly couple welcomed them in, and in appreciation, the gods transformed that humble dwelling into a temple with a golden roof and marble columns. And then, in addition, the gods came and destroyed all those people who had been inhospitable. Well, apparently, the people in Lystra don't want to make the same mistake again. And so in verse 13, see what it says? The priest of Zeus brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. In other words, the people are trying to fit into their own worldview uh, this miracle. And they want to worship Paul and Barnabas. Now look at verse 14. How 
do the missionaries respond? Well, they tear their clothes in distress. They rush into the crowd and they say, why are you doing this? We're just mere men like you. Uh, we bring you good news that you should turn from these empty, worthless, useless things. There is a God who has created the world and all things in it. And he gives you rain and other blessing upon blessing. And he is the one to whom to devote your worship. Now, what's at the heart of pagan worship? It rejects the, create, the, the evidence that God has placed in his creation of his existence and of his power. And rejecting the evidence that's around in creation, it turns instead to creating many gods and to pursuing idol, idol worship. Well, things are tough. And they're going to get tougher, as we'll see in just a minute. Now look at verses 19 and 20. It's not only the people of Lystra that have a twisted view of how to live life. What we find is that unbelieving Jews come into town and they stir up the locals. And they together stone Paul, drag him out of town, and leave him for dead. What a contrast. The pagan crowd moves from, on the one hand, wanting to worship Paul and Barnabas, to now being very happy to try to kill him. If, un, if pagan unbelief rejects God's revelation in creation, if that's what pagan unbelief does, what happens as far as Jewish unbelief goes? Jewish unbelief rejects God's revelation in the person and work of his son. Remember? Jesus is crucified. The Jews say his blood be upon us and our children. And so no matter how you cut it, the heart is deceitful above all things and incurably sick and our natural move, whether we're raw pagans or self-righteous Jews is to move away from the Lord. What we've seen so far is there's reason to take hope because the gospel is on the move. And there's reason to take hope because the gospel gives you power to bless those that are in need. And now what we see is take hope. The gospel points us to one living and true God who is very, very good and worthy of all our worship. So what's the answer to Luke's question here in this chapter? Can the gospel save pagan peoples? What do you think? Well, look at verse 20. It's informative. Paul is left for dead outside of Lystra, and we read when the disciples gathered about him. What disciples? Disciples from Lystra, right? All right, now look at verses 21 and 22. The missionaries returned to Lystra, strengthening the souls of the disciples. What disciples? Disciples in pagan Lystra. And then one final one. 
Look at verse 27. The missionaries declare how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Which ones? Some, including pagans from Lystra. Yeah, the gospel is powerful to save pagan peoples. So think about those that you view as farthest from the Lord. Can he do anything to affect change in their lives? How about a little promotional piece? Michael Graham has written a little book entitled Cheer Up, the Life and Ministry of Jack Miller. Uh, Jack Miller was a professor at Westminster Seminary who got the gospel and understood the power of the gospel for his own life as well as for other people like raw pagans. As a matter of fact, in his travels, he had seen the Pagan's Motorcycle Gang at Jack Frost's Diner, which was near where he lived. And he viewed them as a marginalized group. And he wanted to give them the gospel. So first he recruited some people to pray for them and then to pray for him as he went to talk to them. Pulled up in his car, there were more than 50 wild-eyed young people there. And he jumps out and he says, Hi, my name's uh, Reverend Miller. I'm looking for the Pagan's Motorcycle Gang. Do you know where I can find them? And the group, many of them, as the story goes, the group, many of them, under the influence of alcohol and drugs, reacted with jeers and foul language and threats. And the more they talked, the wilder the group became and the louder they became. And one man started screaming and threatening. And uh, certain he was doomed, uh, Jack started praying for help. Bob Heppy was one of those in that gang. And he heard the gospel, and months later, Jack went over to his house to talk to him. And to his surprise, he was neither drunk nor high. And so he said, have you become a Christian? And Bob's response was this, well, I've been sober since you left Jack Frost 10 days ago, and I can't remember the last time that happened. Bob was saved by believing this powerful gospel that we're talking about. And so let me encourage you, get a copy of Cheer Up, The Life and Ministry of Jack Miller, and read it. I think you'll enjoy how much he came to understand the power of the gospel, and I think it'll strengthen your faith. But I think there's a more pressing question than anything we've touched on so far, and it's this. Do you believe the gospel for yourself? Do you believe the gospel? Is that what shapes you? Well, here's God's promise. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made 
unto salvation. The gospel and only the gospel can save you. Lord, we ask you to bless your word to us now. Help us to believe this wonderful truth that Jesus died for sinners. And if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. May we reflect the newness of the work of your spirit more and more we ask in Jesus' name, amen.